0: You're listening to Sobriety with Ari Eastman. Hey, that's me. Well, hello and welcome back to Sobriety with me, Ari Eastman. And today, I don't know why I'm giving game show energy. What is this? What am I, Pat Sajak? What is this, Wheel of Fortune? Pat Sajak, I think that's his name, the host of Wheel of Fortune. That dude has nefarious energy. Like, peace and love, I don't know anything about him, but... You just know he's wearing a skin suit made of people, allegedly. Allegedly, you know that, right? (laughs) Don't come for me, Sajak family. I'm sure you're lovely. But he, he just has nefarious energy. Like, he could be a lizard person. You know what? Let me look him up. Pat Sajak. Let's see what comes up. Oh, my Jesus. Pat Sajak, according to Google... He earns an annual salary of $15 million as a host of Wheel of Fortune. Okay, anyway, well, now I'm going to go jump off a bridge. Bye. Oh, that's great. Yeah, now I'm just on his Wikipedia. Um, Sajak has written a number of columns for a conservative magazine. He is a regular poster and participant in a conservative blog, Ricochet.com. He has long acknowledged being a climate change skeptic. All right, so... Uh, kind of nailed it when I said this is an anti-Pat Sajak podcast. I didn't say that, but I'm saying it now. This man is getting $15 million a year to host Wheel of Fortune. Wow. I'm in a bad mood now. (laughs) The podcast is over. All right. We're going to do a quick pivot. We're going to do a quick pivot from Pat, um... Look for the um, anti Pat Sajak podcast merch coming out. Um, that's my that's my spinoff podcast. It's actually just called the Anti Pat Sajak podcast. Uh, anyway, so uh, we just had Halloween weekend, and I'm still sober, baby. This is the first year that I dressed up in quite a while, and you know, Halloween was always a big, big deal. Probably one of my favorite holidays. Like we loved it in our household we did a lot of theme stuff as a family. I'm not someone that likes scary stuff. I am not a spooky babe in that aspect. I don't like horror movies. Even though I love Buffy and I love vampires, I don't want things that are scary. I want like campy. I want silly. Like love the witchy aesthetic, but I don't want anything jumping out at me. I'm not doing a haunted house. I'm not no 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 no. I'm not I'm not going somewhere where like a zombie is supposed to chase me through a field or whatever. Why would I sign up for that? Why would I choose to raise my cortisol levels and my adrenaline, okay? I have anxiety. It already functions at a higher level than it should. I don't need to have my body momentarily think a man, you know, with a with an axe is, is gonna kill me, even if I know, even if I go to a haunted house and I know he's not gonna kill me. My body is in fight or flight and it's prepared. It's, it wants me to survive. Why am I putting my body through that? I'm not gonna do that. So, you know, for me, <laughs> Halloween's not about the scary stuff. It's about the costumes and the dressing up and the imagination and the, the theater of it all, darling. I was not a theater kid. That may surprise some people. Um, I've been told that I have theater kit energy, which I'm pretty sure when people say that to me, they mean it as an insult. But I'm going to choose to take it as a compliment because I always wished that I did theater. And I think that I am a naturally theatrical person. And in another lifetime, I probably would have pursued acting and and stuff like that. But I was also very... um, I wasn't, I was shy. I was shy growing up and I was introverted and I didn't like stepping outside of my comfort zone. I liked being theatrical for my group of friends, but the idea of actually doing a play or acting or doing honestly any sort of after school activity, I just didn't want to do it. I wanted to go to school and then I wanted to come home. I didn't want to participate in anything else related to my classmates or school. I wanted to do school there come home and like make YouTube videos. It's like I wanted to do, I wanted to be a theater kid, but in the privacy of my own bedroom. And both my mom and my dad also have kind of a theatrical uh, side to them, flair to them, a creative, um, like my, my mom, I feel like both my mom and my dad in other universes could have also maybe gone into some sort of entertainment field. My dad was a professor. So like, In a weird way, he, I think, he loved teaching so much because he loved learning and education and he loved his students, but I also think he enjoyed performing up there. Like, I think he enjoyed being in front of his students and getting to sort of be the star for an hour, however long his lectures were, and present information. And he always tried to make it as engaging and funny and interesting so it's like he kind of was like an entertainer in his own way because he would entertain his students for his lectures so you know our family really loved the theatrics of Halloween the costumes and like really getting into your character and I'm still that way very much and so you know the past couple years obviously we've had the pandemic and then the first year that I was sober I was definitely not gonna like go out or do anything so this is the first year, I, I mean, maybe like since I've moved to LA that I dressed up. No, I think I dressed up as someone uh, maybe in like 20, God, when did I move here? Maybe like 2018, but it was kind of haphazardly put together. And who knows? I was probably drunk. I was probably drunk last time I got dressed up for Halloween. So this uh, this time I went as Shigo from Kim Possible, the villain from Kim Possible. My roommate went as Kim Possible. Super fun. Um... I kind of like my my outfit was very sort of like from Goodwill, like I got random pieces and I like cut off the sleeves and, you know, it was it was definitely a DIY Shigo, but um, it was really fun. And so we went out to dinner, you know, and there's not like uh, lately I have been feeling like I feel secure and safe and strong enough in my sobriety that I'm not as Uneasy going certain places that I would have maybe avoided in the beginning. So we did go to a bar and I was fine. I was fine. They had mocktails. It was just the two of us. And I thought I would share sort of like my new kind of go tos that I set for myself if I'm going to do a night out or even with these holidays like Halloween or Thanksgiving coming up soon and then Christmas and Hanukkah. You know, these holidays can sometimes have a large emphasis on alcohol and you don't always even realize it until you're out of it until you're sober and it's kind of like when you stop drinking that's when you start noticing how much drinking is everywhere and how much it surrounds so much of our lives and society and things that you're like why is this so like alcohol centric but you know that whatever that is that is just kind of like how it is in american society and culture and how it is in other places as well i'm sure but so i have kind of picked up over these past 2 years some things that are helpful to me and of course i'm still always learning but i thought i would share kind of like what i do to check in with myself the number one thing and this is something that i will reiterate many times in the podcast because it's something easier said than done but and this is something that I sort of without even meaning to did in my early sobriety. And that is asking yourself if you actually want to go somewhere or do something. Do you want to go to that Halloween party? Like, or is it just a built up expectation? Do you feel pressure? You know, it, do you just feel like, well, you're supposed to. Do you actually inside want to go? And I think sometimes it's kind of hard to even get to that voice because we have so many external voices. And I don't even, to be honest with you, like, I don't even know how to suggest finding that voice. Like, I don't know, like therapy or meditation. I I actually don't know. I don't know how you yourself can find your one internal voice that's actually telling you what you want to do. But I don't know whether that's your gut feeling, your whatever it is, try to... Figure out the source of like where it's coming from and if you actually want to go. Because the thing is, I know a lot of people suffer from FOMO. To be honest, I don't. I have more like JOMO, joy of missing out. Like I usually am like, yeah, no, I'm good. You guys go. But it's one day. And if you are actually feeling stressed and pressured about something, maybe you're not like at a place where you feel like you can go to something where there's going to be a lot of alcohol or whatever, whatever that thing is. And your little internal voice, your intuition is saying, I don't think we should go. But your FOMO is also ever present. It's like it will be one day. And even if it is the best day and everyone's like, oh, my God, you missed the coolest party. Oh, my God, we all got a million dollars. Like missing that one day, but honoring that intuition that said, I'm not ready and this doesn't feel good to me. It's going to be so much better for you in the long run. And I would say just now, like, you know, having hit my two years and feeling really strong in that and who I am and that a lot of my confidence has come back, I would say only now am I in a place where I'm like, yeah, let's go to some bars. Let's do some nightlifey things. And here's the thing, I'm even experiencing like wanting to go do those things, then doing them and enjoying them, but also being like, I could take it or leave it. Like, the days of wanting to go out all night, I think they're long behind me. I'm too tired. Although I can stay up all night with insomnia, I'm not staying up all night in the club. And that is a gift that sobriety has given me, that I get to be in my right mind. I get to be, uh, like, fully present. And that means I can check in and go, "Mm, yeah, I'm good. I'm ready to go home. And that brings me to... Another thing that I've really started to do that I think is really helpful and beneficial and that's sort of like making a plan with yourself and then verbalizing it to people. It doesn't, I mean, if you're going to a big group thing and you're not like super comfortable with everyone, you don't have to be like, well, hello, I would like to tell you all my plan to reassess my energy in about an hour. We'll talk then, but at least one person. So for example, I went out with my roommate and I said, you know, we can go to this bar And um, you can get a drink. I'm going to get a mocktail. I said, let's go. Um, Let's see what the energy is like at 10 o'clock. At 10 o'clock, we can reassess, see what it's like at 11. Um, If the crowd gets crazy at any point, I may want to go home. And so I think setting that expectation up up front is helpful to me because, like, I've set the boundary and I let people know. And by the way, it doesn't mean that, like, and if you were in a group of people, it doesn't mean that, like, the party has to end for them. You're just saying... Hey, just so you know, like, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna have my, I'm gonna have a seltzer. I'm gonna have my mocktail. I'm gonna hang out for a couple hours. I'm gonna reassess my energy. I'm gonna see how I'm feeling. I'm gonna check in with myself in 30 minutes, in an hour, whatever that time frame is for you. And then, if you're ready to bounce, you're ready to bounce, and you can leave, and and no one else has to necessarily leave. But I, I think that that helps manage expectations for everybody. And I know it's not always the most comfortable thing to be the person that wants to leave first or, you know, you you run the the risk or the fear of being seen as like the party pooper or whatever. But it's like if you can at least set that um set that expectation in the beginning, I think it does make it easier. I'm not saying that it's easy, but it's easier if you have kind of it's like the same thing if you're I don't know, you're like doing something, you're like, oh, my God, like, I'd love to come. But, you know. I have to pick up my kids at 6 p.m. or whatever. If you kind of set the expectation in the beginning, then there are no surprises. And then whatever. If someone gets mad at you, I mean, then that's seriously their problem. And here, here's the here's the other thing. And this is, again, an, this is another strategy that I feel like I use. Or not even a strategy, but something I remind myself of and something that I think could be, you know, helpful not just if you're sober, not just if you're in recovery, just a helpful thing to remember in general, especially for those of us with social anxiety. And it's that nobody gives a shit about you. Not in a negative way, but like nobody is thinking about you as much as you are thinking about you. And I know that there's like so much, I put so much. Uh, anxiety on like, oh my god, how will I explain to people? Like, you know, if a stranger, if I go to a bar, and then a stranger is just like, can I buy you a drink? And I'm like, yeah, make it a seltzer, blah, blah, blah. First of all, like, no one's buying me drinks. So I don't know what <laughs> no strangers or no handsome strangers are coming up and buying me drinks. So didn't have to be worried about that one. But this preoccupation, this emphasis we put on like, you know, thinking about what we're going to say to someone or how we're going to explain ourselves Nobody is thinking about you that much. You are thinking about you that much. And in my experience, no one has even noticed that I'm not drinking. You know, I'm there with my mocktail. I'm there with my soda water and lime or whatever it is. And nobody cares. Nobody, A, notices. And B, if they did, nobody would care. That is really such a freeing realization and one that when you can actually like really implement it into your life and into your thinking and again keep in mind everything i say i'm like all these things are easy to say much harder to do and i don't necessarily have the tools on like how to do some of these things but like yeah when you realize like people aren't thinking about you people aren't concerned about you and you can kind of get over some of your own narcissistic stuff it's like a lot of anxiety goes away because it's not the you show So no one's thinking about it and no one's concerned. And so you get to just like go and enjoy and live your life and not be consumed with the fear and the anxiety that people are judging your every move because they're probably not. Maybe if you're doing something insane, you know, you know what they probably were judging when you were drunk and blacked out and doing dumb shit. That's what they were judging. Like, listen, been there, bestie. Okay, been there. But. Uh they're not they're not concerned about why you aren't drinking. And if they are, if they if somebody is giving you a hard time because you are not drinking, that says a lot more about them than it does about you. And you just have to it's uncomfortable, but you just have to kind of wipe your hands clean and just go like, "Yeah, well, this is uh this is what I'm doing," and you just have to know that something is going on with them. Something about your choice to be sober is triggering to them. And that's a thing that hopefully, like, you should just, in that moment, hope that they figure it out and send them like good vibes because that's a whole other separate issue from you. It has nothing to do with you. Honestly, I, I feel like being sober and going out now. the The main takeaway I've learned is just that, like, it's I enjoy people watching. And um, I enjoy seeing like how other people interact with one another. And I will say, it is kind of fun sometimes when you're sober to uh, watch other people interact when they're drunk. Not if they're getting crazy, because I think when I, I think for me, something that can be triggering is if I see um, people engaging in potentially dangerous behavior. Because here's the thing, I do not police my friends drinking, Um, And again, the people I surround myself with, they have like healthy relationships with alcohol. And even if they get a little drunk or tipsy, like they um, they don't change that much. Uh, I would change. I would become a different person. And that is one of the signs that I had alcohol use disorder. But so I think the only time I, I witness drunk behavior that makes me truly uncomfortable is when I see something that looks dangerous or I see something you know, that maybe even reminds me of something I may have done, you know, but it is kind of sometimes like you get to be a little sober sociologist, just like watching people and their behavior. And you're like, I see the subject has had two drinks and is starting to get a little bit more flirty with the girl at the bar. And, you know, I don't want to sometimes it can be kind of fun to watch people. But um, but yeah, the biggest takeaway is just that, like, yeah, I enjoy being home. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that, you know? You go out, you socialize, uh, you wait and, you know, your social meter fills up, you go back home. Bada bing, bada boom. You know what I'm saying? Well, anyway, those are a couple of the things I kind of employ for going out or, like, alcohol heavy holidays, like Halloween, and also, uh, also I just focus on the fun. For me, what is the fun of Halloween and what what has always been the fun? costumes and dressing up and seeing other people in costumes alcohol entered the picture yeah when i got into college and in my early 20s and you know parties but that's not what halloween was in its purest form so i'm just going back to what it was in its purest form and that's just an opportunity to dress up and take some pictures of myself (laughs) like truly and on that note it's time for something that made me happy this week my pink cloud of sobriety. the obvious answer here would be uh, my chico costume because I will say I impressed myself with my makeup skills I don't I don't like usually wear a lot of makeup honestly it comes from laziness I think and um, yeah I've just like, I like makeup I just don't put a lot of time and effort into it so I wouldn't say that I'm that good at it but man I killed my makeup look I like did my eyebrows to make them kind of look a little bit cartoonish like a you know like a cartoon villain and um, I'm just I'm impressed can I just say that I'm impressed with the makeup I did. And I really, the look came together and it was kind of something that I didn't put like a ton of time and effort into and I'm really proud of how it came out and it came together and it looked great. But So that would be my obvious pink cloud, but a less obvious pink cloud is that uh, last week I was like vaguely like, hey everyone, I'm sober dating again, good news. Yeah, well, I was a little premature on that. So while that came to an end, um, it's a pink cloud because... I really let the idea of sober dating fester into this huge, scary thing in my mind, and it's not. And even the idea of, like, getting naked with someone sober, I I was just like, how will I ever do it? And it's like, I've done it before, It's, it's, it's fine. Sometimes you just have to do something again and be like, oh yeah, why did I make this into some huge monster in my head? And the thing about me is that I am someone who actually finds a lot of contentment in being alone. And uh, dating for me is not necessarily fun in like a – I'm not like a huge casual dater. I'm not someone who um, like wants to have a bunch of flings. Like I, I would much rather just like spend my time alone or go out with someone, like get to know them a little bit. And And then if there's something there, like maybe. But I'm – I'm not really usually someone who's actively seeking a relationship unless it's, like, undeniable. Unless it's just, like, oh, undeniable that, like, you're going to be with this person. And in the past, I've even sort of talked myself into being with people, even though I didn't feel like – even though I was kind of, like, I could take it or leave it. And I think that this is, again, part of being sober is that I am present. And I'm present in my body and I'm present in my mind. And so – um, I'm not going to like waste my time and I appreciate that other people aren't going to waste my time either and it's like it really helps cut out so much of the bullshit when you are sober and um, that is a benefit that I just didn't even really think about but there's so much we waste a lot of time when like when I was drunk I would entertain so much toxicity and you know just like dumb shit just because I was drunk you know, or like I would text a guy and, you know, even though I like maybe wasn't even that into him, but, you know, we would drunk text each other. And it's like, I'm not going to do any of that shit now because I'm sober and I'm 29 years old. And, you know, like I'm tired. I like I said, I don't stay up all night. Okay, I go to bed at 11. So are we doing this or what? But I still have not had sex, so. I need to have one of those like counter like those clocks that it's like you know they put them up it's like zero days since our last incident and mine just says like however many days since Ari had sex and the number just keeps going up and up and up and up and <laughs> up well uh anyway thanks so much for tuning in to another episode as always it's appreciated if you leave a five-star rating or review or tell a friend say hello Um, and I'll talk to you next week. Okay, bye. I love you all.